Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. In this week's Parsha, the, the epic conclusion to the whole story of Yosef and his brothers. And it culminates with the entire Jewish mission absolutely falling apart. It's crumbling. Benjamin has been taken captive by Yosef, and this will lead to the death of Yaakov. And that will be the end of the Jewish mission. We're going to go sort of deep into what this idea of the approach of Yehuda to Yosef means. The fact that if Yehuda isn't successful in freeing his brother, that all of the work of Avraham, all of the work of Yitzchak, all of the work of Yaakov, and everything that all the sons accomplished is going to fall into the dustbin of history. So I can't emphasize enough the level of urgency that's on the table when Yehuda approaches Yosef. And you also have to understand that these are the two kingly lines that are now confronting each other. And it goes deeper than that because each one symbolizes something else. As Reb Shlomo put it so beautifully, and I heard him say this several times, so I know how important this teaching was to Reb Shlomo. Who do you think the Messiah is descended from? The one who's perfect or the one who made mistakes and succeeded in fixing them. So if you were to ask me, I would say that the Messiah is descended from the one who never makes a mistake. And amazingly, that's not what the Torah says. This is really incredible. Because God created us in such a way that he knows that we're going to make mistakes. But what God expects from us is to keep on trying to get it right. The Chose of Lublin, one of the greatest Hasidic masters, each morning he would say, today I'm going to be a tzaddik. That's, a, an amazing, that's an amazing statement. So first of all, if someone is truly a tzaddik, they don't consider themselves to be a tzaddik. But nonetheless, here's someone who's rededicating himself every single day to finally getting it right. And if you think that all of reality, all of our lives, this entire world can be summed up in one statement, I think, which is that everything is the interaction between the infinite and the finite. If we're finite and God is infinite, that means that the levels that we can rise to literally never ends ever. The, the Talmud says that there are these 36 hidden tzaddikim in the world that keep the world going. And I think one of the rules is that if you think that you're one of them, that's already proof that you aren't. So that idea that part of truly being a tzaddik is that you don't think that you're a tzaddik. Because the reality is that there are always higher, higher, higher levels. So with that in mind, it's even more awesome that we refer to Yosef as Yosef Hatzadik, which means Yosef the Tzadik, Yosef the Righteous One. 
Now I want to explain something to you because Kabbalistically, this is a very important idea. If you want to see the world accurately, the only thing that exists is God. Period, end. Hard stop. In fact, one of the very helpful kavanas to have when you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that God is one, to just imagine that the only thing that exists is God, that you don't even exist. You just exist within God. And that ultimately you're not even there. It's just God, right? Just this great expanse that's beyond, beyond any, any parameters. So we talk about tikkun. Tikkun means fixing. So I'm going to give it to you in one perspective, but you'll see how this ties back to Yosef Atzadik. The light is here, but it hasn't finished coming down. And when we do mitzvahs, when we love each other, when we're unified, what we succeed in doing is pulling down more light from heaven into this dimension. We haven't pulled down all of the light yet. Now, why is that? Now, I'm going to get a little more technical, but this is, I think, still easy to follow. There's a pathway for the light to come down. And perhaps a helpful way to visualize this is in terms of the letters of Hashem's holiest name, Yudke Vavke. And I always tell you, whenever you think of that name, always think of it as a ladder. So you have Yud on top, and underneath that, the letter He, and underneath that, the letter Vav. And then the final He stands for this dimension that we're in right now. Now, the letter Vav is a straight line. That's how the letter is drawn. And Vav is that pipeline that the higher light comes down into this dimension. Now, who do you think is associated with that letter Vav? And the answer is Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef the Righteous One. When we talk about Tikkun, when we talk about the ultimate rectification of the world, we're talking about bringing all the light above down below. And because that pipeline isn't operating at 100% capacity, the light from above is not completely coming down below. And when we rectify that vav, then we're going to have full agency between the above and the below. Yosef is that vav. Okay. But now listen to this about Yehuda. It says that in the end of days, God will be one and his name will be one. So the rabbis ask on that a very good question. Isn't God already one? <laughs> right? Because right now God is one, but people call him by different names. So God's oneness is an objective reality, but people haven't fully grasped that the God of Israel is the one God. By the way, I always think it's very interesting. Remember, when we say, Shema Yisrael, Shema Elokeinu, Shema Echad, when we say that, we, we tend to think of it as a prayer. Not just as a prayer, but our most important prayer. 
Okay, that's all good, except it's a verse from the Torah. So being a verse from the Torah, it's amazing that there's a Rashi on the Shema. How does Rashi explain the Shema? So Rashi says that right now, historically speaking, we understand the one true God as our God. But in the end of days, Hashem Echad, God will be the one God over all of the world. In other words, according to Rashi, the Shema is not just a simple prayer or declaration of God's oneness. It is a timeline tracking the fact that we understand that God is God, and soon the entire world will recognize that God is God too. So let's get back to Yehuda. So listen to this. This is really wild, I think. You know, we have different names for God within the Jewish religion, okay? Now, before I give a teaching like this, I always feel like I have to give you a little context for this because it's important. By the way, Judaism doesn't say our God is stronger than your God when we talk about other religions. We say there is only one God. <laughs> there is only one God. It's not that we're saying our God is better than your God. We're saying there is only one God, and that's Hashem. An important point. Okay, now I'm going to tell you something from the Ari in a moment about a name of Hashem. But first I have to explain for everyone so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Every single person, think of yourself for a moment right now. I'm going to talk about myself, but think of yourself right now. Every single person has multiple names. And the reason why you have multiple names is because you exist in different contexts. And according to the context that you are appearing in, that is the name that you will receive. So let me give you a few examples. So my name is David. So on a good day, I'll be sweetie to my wife. But that's me. Okay? So to my son's friends... I'll be Mr. Sachs. If I cut someone off in traffic, hey you! <laughs> God willing, one day I'll be a grandfather and I'll be grandpa. When I'm called up to the Torah, David Yitzchak ben Leib Halevi. These are all different names for me. And it just depends on under what circumstance I'm appearing. So when we talk about Hashem, there is only one power in the world. There is only one God. There is no other power. Very good. But now Hashem can manifest himself in a place of love. So then in the Torah, Hashem will be referred to by the name Yudke Vavke, which is a sign of rachamim, a mercy or love. By the way, as Rabbi David Aaron points out very beautifully, the holiest name of God is love. That's, that's amazing. This is within the Jewish religion. And I think that this is important to point out because there are many religions which slander the Jewish people. And they talk about the quote-unquote Old Testament as the, the God of vengeance. There's the God of vengeance. Well, there's a problem with that because the main name of God 
in the quote-unquote Old Testament is Yudke Vavke, which is love. <laughs> and, and he suggested something that I haven't done, I haven't seen this done, but it's just an interesting, at least, thought experiment. What if every time you saw Yudke Vavke in the Torah, that name of God, you translated the verse using the word love? Love did this. Love did that. Love spoke to Moshe. <laughs> Isn't that something? It give you a much truer understanding of what's going on. So many people think, and, and I'm telling you, you will not understand your life correctly. You will not understand the world correctly. So many people think that God is a cat and we are mice being held upside down by our tails. And with God's other paw, he's whacking us. And so many people think that this is the world and this is our lives and this is our relationship with God that we're commanded to serve this holy dictator. I don't know who to feel worse for, for the person who goes through life like this or for God. Can you, can you imagine if to your own child, you reached out your arms to hug your child and your child stepped backward, cowering in fear? How heartbreaking would that be to you? Here you wanna give your child or your loved one a hug and they're stepping backwards because they think you're gonna strike them. How, how heartbreaking would that be to the parent? How heartbreaking must it be for God? When God manifests himself in the form of nature, the name Elohim is used. So there are different names of God, but we're only describing the one true God. But the question is, how is he manifesting himself in the moment? That will dictate what name in the Torah is being used. Now, just throw one more thing in, because I just, this is such an important point. It's just, we have to hear it again and again. Because those, those critics of the Torah who call themselves, you know, the, the biblical criticism, right? What, what they want to suggest, and A, it's not true, and B, it's such a destructive, pernicious thought, is that this Torah was pieced together from different historical periods, and the reason why you have different names for God is because in this era they called him that, in that era they called him that, and so they sold all of these things together, and that's why you have these different names. Nothing could be further from the fact. But again, we have to just educate and re-educate ourselves about this. All right, so we're talking about Yehuda approaching Yosef. Yehuda is trying to save the entire Jewish mission. Yosef is the tzaddik. Now, I told you, the light is here, but the light hasn't finished coming down. When we want tikkun, when we want the ultimate fixing, we have to finish pulling the light down. The Pischei Sharm talks about this. And I told you that the thing that's broken, so to speak, is this letter Vav in the Yudke Vavke, which is the flow of light. And that the letter Vav 
stands for Yosef Atzadik. In other words, when we reach this level of complete fixing, like Yosef did, when you are the tzaddik, then the light flows all the way down into this realm, which is the bottom hay, which stands for Yehuda. Because this realm that we live in is Malchus. That's what it's called. So Yosef is flowing down into Yehuda. But all the light is not getting into Yehuda yet. When Yehuda rectifies himself, then all of a sudden it's going to fix the vav and the light is going to flow all the way down. Let's put it another way. Imagine you have a cracked vessel or you have a cup with a hole on the bottom. The light can be flowing, but you can't maintain the light because the vessel itself is broken. So Yehuda has to fix himself. Let's go back to that verse because now you're going to see something amazing. That in the end, God will be one and his name will be one. Now the Talmud says, well, wait a second, God is already one. And then they say, you're right, but his name isn't one. The Ari says there is a name of God that goes like this. You ready? Yudhe, Yudhe. And what's the idea behind that? Remember, when we talk about the top two letters of Hashem's name, we're talking about the highest light. And when we talk about the bottom two letters' name of, of God's name, we're talking about the dimensions that we're in right now. So in the end of days, this name above, yud Hey will be identical to the name as it's revealed below, yud Hey. So yud Hey and yud Hey is 30. Now listen to this. Yehuda is the Gematria 30. All right, it's yud Kei vav Kei plus Dalit. So that's 26 plus 4 is 30. So when Yehuda rectifies himself below, the entire pipeline flows completely because now the vessel at the bottom has been completely rectified. When Mashiach comes, God's oneness will be revealed in this realm as well. As Rashi says, Hashem Echad, in the end, the entire world will see God as one. Let me add one more idea, which is Yehuda begins with the letter Yud, and Yosef begins with the letter Yud. And you'll see in many prayer books that the name of God is spelled Yud Yud. And Yud Yud is actually a contraction of two holy names of God. It's the first letter of one name of God and the last letter of another name of God. It's these two names, Yud Ke Vav Ke, that begins with the letter Yud, and Aleph Dalad Nun in Yud, which ends with the letter Yud. And again, we're only talking about one God here. These two names refer to God as he manifests himself beyond boundaries in infinite realms, and God as he manifests himself within boundaries, within the natural order. And so you have this flow from the Yud of the Yudke Vavke, from the infinite realms coming all the way down to this dimension, and when these two yuds connect, that then becomes the revelation of the oneness of God.
as we often say, bringing heaven down to earth, but on an even deeper level, it's bringing earth up to heaven. And you see this reflected in Yehuda approaching Yosef. And so this dynamic is really going back and forth. So where do we see Yehuda absolutely fixing himself? Such that Yosef can't help but to reveal himself at this moment. You see, there are two ways of understanding Yosef revealing himself. The first way is that he's waiting for the brothers to do tshuva. And I heard something amazing from my wife. I, I love this. It's a question that is, everyone's been asking forever. Very old question. Why is it that the brothers didn't recognize Yosef? And my wife said something really amazing. She said, because they hadn't done tshuva yet. So think about that for a moment. If you don't fix yourself, how you see the world is broken. When you fix yourself, you actually see the world differently. That's, that in itself is amazing. But then I had a question and I added something to this teaching which is once they did do tshuva and Yosef said, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, your brother, the brother still didn't recognize him. So how do you explain that? If they had done tshuva at that point, why didn't they recognize him at that point? So I want to add something else. Because Yosef hadn't forgiven them yet. Yosef says, don't worry, this was all from Hashem, and don't feel bad. That was him forgiving them. Once you grant people forgiveness, and I'm not just talking about Yosef now, I'm talking about you and me. Once you grant forgiveness to people, people will see you in a different way. In other words, when you're in a state of anger, you have some sort of curtain in front of you and the fullness of you the reality of you can't be fully seen but when you grant forgiveness that anger comes down and now people can see it and so when Yosef grants forgiveness now he can be fully seen and the brothers see that it really is Yosef so I'm, I'm suggesting that on a very practical level for all of us in our own lives. When you grant forgiveness to people, you will be seen in a different light. They will see you. They will see you. Okay. So now I want to go deeper and make it more personal. Okay? Yehuda approaches Yosef. Let me just add one more thing first. Something, a piece of imagery from the Medrash that I think is very, very beautiful. Which is that when Yehuda started speaking to Yosef, he spoke to Yosef's heart in such an incredible way that Yosef couldn't remain hidden any longer. So in other words, in this way of understanding it, 
It wasn't a calculated moment on Yosef's side that he decided, okay, the work that was required to be done has been done, and now I'm telling you that I'm Yosef. There is a way to learn it that way. But there's another way to learn it, which the Medrash seems to suggest, which is that when Yehuda started appealing to Yosef, he was able to unlock Yosef in such a way that Yosef couldn't help but to share who he was. And now let me tell you the imagery. The Medrash says that this is like cold, wonderful, drinkable water, which is all the way down at the bottom of a well, and no one can get to it. And so what does a person do? He ties rope upon rope, cord upon cord, string upon string, until they're able to connect it to the bucket. The Medrash says, it's in Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash says that each, each sentence that Yehuda says in this long speech to Yosef, culminating in Yosef not being able to bear it anymore and revealing himself, each line of, of, of Yehuda's speech is like he's tying a rope to another rope, a cord to another cord, a string to another string, until he reaches inside of Yosef and pulls out like this wonderful thing within Yosef. Isn't that, isn't that something? Isn't that something? That one can string together sentences, but it's like you're tying rope leading down into this deep place in order to extract these very sweet waters. As a writer, I, I marvel at this, this connection because it's so poetic and so deep. And now I want to make it personal. I want to say the following, which is this approach of Yehuda to Yosef is going on in each and every one of us. Yosef represents that point of perfection within each person, which is hidden deep within each person. And the Yehuda aspect of ourself is the revealed aspect of ourself. I'll just tell you quickly, Yosef represents the private realms, and Yehuda represents the public realms. Sometimes the letter He is used to represent Hashem. And so the rabbis teach something very interesting, which is Yosef is called Yosef throughout the entire Tanakh, except in one instance, when he's referred to as Yehosef, and the letter He is added to Yosef's name. In other words, this extra godly component is added to Yosef's name. And why was that added? Because of what Yosef did in private. Meaning to say when he was secluded with Potiphar's wife and he didn't do anything wrong and he served Hashem 
in a way where no one was looking, but he still served Hashem. In the merit of that, he got this letter Hey attached to his name, and he becomes Yehosef. But that's only in one place in all of Tanakh, and it was done in private. And you may never even run across that verse where it's spelled that way. So Yosef represents serving God in the private realms. And so that's why that's the aspect that's deeply covered within yourself. That pintal yid, that point of perfection, which is within every single person. Yehuda, well, that hey is evident in the open spelling of his name. He serves God very publicly. And probably the best example of that, just in uh, juxtaposition to Yosef's service in terms of resisting Potiphar's wife, Yehuda has, he has many great moments, but perhaps his greatest moment is when Tamar, his daughter-in-law, um, who's a widow at the time, is brought before the Beistin, the, the court, because she's pregnant and has gotten pregnant in a way that seems to subject herself to capital punishment. Now, who is the father of this child? It's completely not known, and the worst is assumed. And she is willing to be thrown into a furnace rather than to embarrass someone publicly. And it's, she doesn't expose who the true father is. Who is Yehuda? Who is the chief justice? Who's adjudicating over this case in public? Now, when Yehuda went to give her payment, her face was covered, and he gives her, as Reb Shlomo said it over, his talis and tefillin as collateral while he went to get her payment. And then she ran away and held on to his ID, so to speak. Well, she says to Yehuda and to everyone, without mentioning any names, she says, the father of the child is the one to whom these belong. And she shows Yehuda his talis and tefillin. And Yehuda, again, who's the chief judge, who's about to sentence her to death, admits in public to everyone, I'm the father of the child. He puts aside all concerns of his own reputation because he's just interested in embracing the truth. The truth is that I did it. I don't care what you think of me. The primary thing right now is to admit the truth and I'm the father. So that's amazing. And from that pregnancy comes the ancestor of Mashiach. And of course, what is the whole idea of Mashiach coming into this world is that we'll see the oneness of God, we'll see the truth. So Yehuda serves God publicly. And because Yehuda serves God publicly, the hey, which stands for God in his name, can be openly read in his name. Whereas Yosef serves God privately, although he himself was a public figure, but like the great merit, the great holiness was done where no one can see. 
So that hey itself is hidden, Yehosef. It only appears once in Tanakh, and you may never even see it. Now, by the way, there is a great line that we say in the davening in the morning. But if you're not like going through the whole Siddur, not that anyone can go through every single prayer in the Siddur, but this is one of those key ones that it's easy to miss unless you, you know, are like a little bit of an expert in the prayer book. In the Art Scroll prayer book over here, this is Nusach's Fard, it's on page 28. One of the great lines, you ready for this? Always let a person be God-fearing privately and publicly. You know, it's a little bit easier, not always, not always. In the case that I just told you about Yehuda, it was very difficult to do what he did. Or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But for many people, it's easier to serve God publicly. Why? Because everyone's looking at you. And so you want to at least appear righteous. But when no one's looking, when you're all by yourself in your house, that's a whole nother realm. And I think that just in terms of climbing the rungs of holiness, if a person is really interested in, in doing that, in cleaving to God, maybe their greatest opportunities really are serving God in private. Precisely because that will be the honest, most sincere reflection of who you really are and what your relationship with God really is. Okay, so now let's finally say the point. There's a Yehuda, which is the outside of us. That's the part that I can see, that others can see in me. But you know something? Each one of us also has the Yosef within us. We have the Yehuda, that's the broken aspect of ourselves, and all of us are broken. The only question is, how much and how far are we willing to go to fix it? All of us are broken. But we also have that Yosef inside of us which is that point of perfection inside of us. And so what I want to say is, Vayigash, the beginning of this week's Parsha, and Yehuda approached Yosef, that each one of us has the ability to be that Yehuda, that broken aspect of ourself, which has the opportunity to reach out and to connect with that holy, unbroken, perfect aspect of ourself. But let me tell you this, when Yehuda went and had the temerity, had the boldness to approach the king of Egypt, there was the greatest sense of urgency. He was saving the entire Jewish people at that moment that he was doing it. And if you and me in our brokenness, want to connect to that perfect aspect that dwells deeply inside of each of us, the only way that you're going to reach it, I would like to suggest, is if there is a sense of urgency. If it's just a casual reaching out, I don't know if it's gonna happen.
But if you feel like your life depends on connecting with that point of perfection within yourself, and remember, that's a point of infinity which belongs to Hashem, which He puts inside each of us, and never stops unfolding. Which means that the approach, the Yehuda to Yosef approach that can happen within each one of us will never stop bearing fruit because that point of perfection continually reveals itself in this world in terms of higher and higher levels and opportunities for us to reach during our lifetime. And that dynamic is taking place all of the time. If we want. Because Yosef is just sitting there, waiting. And now let me just flip the imagery. Because on the one hand, Yosef is holding the entire family captive right now. So really, Yosef is the master. And all of the brothers who don't know that it's Yosef, they're the slaves right now. But do you want to hear something interesting? Who was Yosef before he became the viceroy? Yosef was a prisoner. And do you know when Yosef got out? On Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, Yosef was freed from captivity. So when you think about that point of perfection within you, but from the point of view of that point of perfection, it is captive within us, waiting for us to rescue it. In other words, it's not just sitting there mocking us. Here I am, you can't get me. It's desperate to be contacted. It's desperate to be freed. It's desperate to be unlocked. We'll stop there. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.